You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I am Jessica O'Reilly, your friendly neighborhood sexologist, and I'm coming at you today from Wan Chai in Hong Kong. I'm here for a couple of couples and corporate events. And uh, today I'm going to be talking about the topic of swinging. And I know many of you know my work on Playboy TV with the reality show Swing. It's a big part of how I launched my brand and I've learned so much from working on that project. And because I worked on that project, I receive many emails and questions about swinging. So sometimes it's about the prevalence of swinging, the how-tos of swinging, People want to know if the cast of our show were actually real couples if, or if they were actors. And no, they were certainly, certainly real couples in real relationships having a, a lot of real sex. <laughs> More sex, I think, than I've ever had. And uh, others want to know if the Swing show is back on. And no, Swing is over. We had a great run of five seasons. But uh, all good things must come to an end. But I still talk a lot about swinging. And I work a lot with people who identify as swingers, I find that younger people are less inclined to use that label. So we also hear the words, the lifestyle. And then I think there are a lot of younger people who just don't use any label whatsoever to describe their relationship. So before we dive into the questions that I'm going to answer, and these questions I received either via email or via my social media channels, I want to say thank you to Desire Resorts for their support of this podcast. This episode is brought to you by The Desire Experience and Desire's Cruise from Barcelona to Rome, which is coming up at the end of April. I know they're almost sold out, but I believe there are a couple of cabins left and I'm going to be on board. My husband, Brandon, of course, will be with me and we'll be setting sail from Barcelona to France, to Monaco, to Northern Italy and finishing off in Rome. So thanks so much to Desire, check them out at Desire Resorts. Now let's dive into the topic at hand. I've received a whole bunch of questions. I don't know how many I can get through, uh, but we'll see. The first question I've received around swinging, oh, it's about cheating. I get this question all the time. It's interesting. Reporters always ask me this question. And at first I was really frustrated by it because it just doesn't make sense to me, but I realized that the volume with which, with which, the repetition with which I receive this question is evidence that people are genuinely uh, confused. So this person asks, what's the difference between cheating and swinging? It seems like couples are just looking for an excuse to cheat. So I get some permutation of this question often, and I answered it on Instagram the other day, but I'm going to answer here. So... No, swinging is not cheating. And there is a definitive categorical difference between cheating and having some form of an open relationship or swinging. And this difference is unambiguous. And that is consent. Consent is the line between cheating and Swinging or polyamory or any form of a consensual non-monogamous relationship. Consent is the line. That is the line. That is the difference. 
And cheating refers to going behind your partner's back without their consent, whereas some sort of an open relationship involves coming to an agreement with regard to what degree of monogamy or non-monogamy is expected in the relationship. And of course, consensually non-monogamous relationships and swinging relationships are all different. They come in many different forms. And so I often use the analogy of taking an exam. So if you take your notes into an open book exam, you're not cheating because you've been given permission to bring your notes in. If, on the other hand, you sneak your notes into a closed book exam or you write notes on your hand or your shoe, I guess that's kind of old school. I, I suppose people just put them on their phones <laughs> these days if they don't collect your phone at the front of the classroom. So if you bring your notes into an open book exam, you're following the rules. If you sneak your notes into a closed book exam, you are clearly breaking them. All right? It's simple. There's a difference between cheating and swinging, and that difference is consent, period. And consent, obviously, is a complex topic. It's not something you give that lasts forever. It's something that can be revoked at any time. Your openness or your degree of comfort with non-monogamy can be renegotiated at any time. And this is such an important topic. It's a, it's a topic that's really upsetting to a lot of people. The idea of open relationships can be really triggering. I know that if I even bring up my, I have a TED talk uh, with TEDx Vancouver called Monogamish. And if I even bring that up in some of my speaking groups, I can see them squirm in their seats. And I think this is really rooted in our fear that our partners are going to cheat, in our fear that other people are doing this, they're swinging, they're having some form of an open relationship and it's working. And we have a fear that I don't know, maybe we would like it, or we have a fear that our partners might like it. And we, we're fearful that somebody is enjoying something that we're not enjoying. And so in terms of data around prevalence of consensually non-monogamous relationships, so this is an umbrella term under which swinging would fall, apparently in America, in the States, one in five people have tried it. And when we look at the data with regard to commitment and trust and jealousy and satisfaction in these consensually non-monogamous relationships, there's some really interesting findings. And I think I'm going to say CNM relationships for consensually non-monogamous moving forward because it's a mouthful. <laughs> so overall, with regard to relationship satisfaction, stability, and even passion, monogamous couples and CNM couples report similar levels. So they're equally satisfied, they feel equally stable, and they feel an equal amount of passion, which is a bit of a surprise to many of us. I think we might have thought that there might be more passion in CNM relationships because you're always trying something new. And if you've listened to my podcast on passion, you know that novelty is part of the behavioral and neurochemical formula for passion. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, it's one of the most important ones if you're interested in being in a relationship or if you are in a relationship. So go back and check it out. Now, even though satisfaction, stability, and passion are of a similar, at a similar level for monogamous and consensually non-monogamous couples, jealousy is lower in consensually non-monogamous relationships, which is very interesting. And apparently trust levels are reported as higher, which makes sense. And uh, jealousy being lower doesn't mean that 
opening up your relationship will reduce jealousy. It's a correlation as opposed to causation, meaning that it may be that people who generally experience lower levels of jealousy pursue CNM relationships as opposed to CNM relationships resulting in lower levels of jealousy. Now, I often get questions about STIs. I also get, you know, lots of mean tweets and mean emails um, because people think I'm proselytizing and trying to suck people into swinging or draw people into consensually non-monogamous relationships, which I'm absolutely not. Uh, so STI rates is a question I get often. So, oh, aren't they dirty? Don't they have lots of diseases? Blah, 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 well, STI rates are actually similar for CNM couples and monogamous couples. And this is likely owing to the reality that many people who claim to be monogamous are in fact not monogamous. So you can call your relationship monogamous, but that doesn't make your behavior monogamous. And the other thing we know is that people in CNM relationships are more likely to practice safer sex, meaning uh, using barrier methods and getting tested regularly. Uh, we also have some data with regard to personality types who are drawn to swinging and CNM. Um, just like monogamy, non-monogamy does not work for everyone. There's no relationship model that will be universally successful, so I cannot tell you what will work for you. We do have some evidence that people who are who report higher levels of sexual excitability, sexual sociability, are more inclined toward consensually non-monogamous relationships in terms of they are, be, they are more satisfied in them and less satisfied in monogamous relationships. And people always ask me, is monogamy natural? No, monogamy probably is not natural. Monogamy is a relatively new phenomenon when you look at the course of human, <clears throat> excuse me, when you look at the course of human history. But just because it's natural, not natural, doesn't mean that it's not doable or desirable. So you can do things that are not natural. Most of our interactions in the world are not natural. Uh, traffic lights are not natural. Many of our behaviors that we have adjusted, wearing clothes, for instance, all the clothes that we wear, not always natural. Now, sometimes with regard to climate, it is something that would have um, increased our chances of survival via evolution. But many of the things we do are not natural. So just because something's not natural doesn't mean it's not desirable and doesn't mean that it's not doable. So the bottom line is some sexual personality types are more satisfied in monogamous relationships and some sexual personality types are more satisfied in consensually non-monogamous relationships. And I've gone on a bit of a tangent uh, with this question about the difference between cheating and swinging, but I want to talk about some of what we know about these relationships because we make a lot of assumptions and we make a lot of assumptions because when something doesn't work for us, we just can't imagine it working for others. And that's why I think we often sit in judgment and criticize other couples. We say things about swingers like, oh, well, I hear people say this all the time, something must be really wrong with them, or they couldn't have possibly have been happy, or it's just a matter of time before they break up. And these judgments are usually the reflection of projection, right? We have our own stuff in our own relationships that we're uncomfortable with. So seeing something in another, another relationship that makes us uncomfortable forces us to either face our fears or project. 
So, you know, if we took the time that we spend judging other people and put that into our relationships, we'd be far better off. Now, I have another question here from a viewer of Swing. They say they love Swing. And she says, my husband and I currently swing and we've never had any issues. However, we met a couple that has shown us a different side of ourselves. I want to ask Dr. Jess about the lifestyle. Okay. Apparently, she says, there is an unwritten rule in the lifestyle that says the lifestyle is very female empowering. But the other rule is permission, male permission. Oh, this is a good question. So she goes on. It seems that even though it is supposed to be empowering for women, the other guy from a couple is still expected to ask the husband or significant other permission before contacting me, the female, whether it's email, text, social media, or in person. Is that true? And shouldn't it be the female on the female or on the woman to say that it's okay for the contact since it's her platform? What do you do if you two disagree on the couple? Um, what if the wife's the wife likes the couple and is friendly with the wife, but the husband doesn't want to entertain them anymore because he feels slighted? Great question. I'm really glad you sent this email because this is something that has always irked me about the lifestyle. It is not inherently empowering to ask a partner's permission before speaking to, dancing with, or approaching their partner. Let me clarify using gender pronouns because this is what I see in the swinging lifestyle once in a while. A man comes up and asks my husband if it's okay to hug me. A man comes up and asks another guy if it's cool to dance with his wife. A man asks if it's okay to talk to your wife. You know, if that's the way your relationship works, regardless of gender, if permission is a core tenet of what you do, that's cool. But here's the issue. That's not the way all relationships work, in or out of the lifestyle. I, Not to make this about me, but I, I received a message on Facebook the other day. It said some version of, Dr. Jess, are you married? And I get these questions all the time. They say, are you married? Do you have a boyfriend? How tall are you? What size are your feet? Um, lots of personal questions that I don't answer. Anyhow, I did respond to this one. I said, yes, I'm married. And then he wrote something along the lines of, oh, okay, because I don't want to offend anyone when I compliment you on how beautiful and talented you are. What? Why is this about my husband? Why is this about Brandon? Why does Brandon get a say in the compliments or commentary with which I'm comfortable? If this is about respect, respect me. Respect my relationship. You don't, you know who gets to decide if I want to hug? Me. You know who gets to decide if a compliment feels good or makes me uncomfortable? Me. No one else gets to say, gets to have a say. I'm losing my voice here. I've been uh, doing a lot of speeches. Pardon me. Now, the lifestyle is supposed to be empowering and sexually liberating, and it really is for many people. But if we dig our heels and our claws into gender stereotypes around permission, we are doing ourselves a disservice. Now to clarify, if you like someone to ask your partner's permission, that is cool, regardless of gender. If you're into it, you do you. But let's not make this a general rule rooted in gender that a man must ask another man's permission or a woman must ask another woman's permission to interact with their partner. 
I think we've got some real challenges here that we need to overcome in and out of the lifestyle. I mean, gender stereotypes are not specific to the lifestyle and they're not eradicated by the lifestyle. General issues around gender and sexism and patriarchy are not eradicated by new systems. And these systems, in fact, are not that radical to begin with. And so the second part of your question, let me just take a look. Uh, You ask, what do you do if you disagree on the couple? The wife likes the couple and is feeling friendly, but the husband doesn't want to entertain them anymore because he feels feels slighted because there was no permission asking now. You have to work this out with your partner, and every couple is going to be different, but I'm going to offer two uh, ways to approach this. First, you have to decide whether or not you play and interact with couples or singles without your partner being on board. Most of the couples I know who identify as swingers agree that they both have to be on board, but there are some who agree to play and interact separately, and that is cool, and it works for them, so you have to negotiate this before you even get online on that website, before you even head to the party. And then the second part around feeling slighted, this is, I think a cognitive shift is required. Your partner needs to get over the idea that when someone doesn't ask his position, it's not a slight to him. It's probably out of respect for you and your wishes, which I hope are a priority for you Now, if something has happened where he feels disrespected or disregarded because the other person or the other couple is focused on you and ignoring him, that's a different story. And, you know, he needs to open up and be vulnerable and not make it about feeling slighted, but be honest and say, you know, I feel like they're more into you than me, or I feel like I'm taking a back seat to you, or I feel insecure because you're chatting privately and I'd like to be in on these chats. But if he feels that permission should be asked because you're his, a matter of property or position, I think you have a bigger conversation you need to dig into with regard to being possessive in relationships and what degree you're comfortable with. Now, again, if you both agree to this permission-asking model, that's cool. If this is what makes you both more comfortable, then absolutely proceed with the asking first. But it sounds like this may not be something you value, so you need to ask some really serious questions of yourselves. And um, for instance, you know, why is permission so important? What interactions do you require in order to feel respected and honored, respected and honored in these interactions? And are there triggers that make you feel insecure or disrespected? And how can you recognize them and respond to them? This is just scratching the surface because once you answer these questions, you need to find a way to convey your needs to other couples because the big takeaway is that there is no universal way to approach other couples in the lifestyle. One couple's needs are going to be entirely different from the next. So even if you've been with dozens or hundreds of couples and you've been doing this for years or decades, you're always going to be learning and you're always going to be lining up, squaring up for a curveball because of human variation. And I'm glad, I'm really glad you asked this question. I hope that some of the questions and conversations I've suggested help you. And it's interesting because I received another question on Twitter asking, 
and this is all it said, is the lifestyle really all about the women? And this is something I hear around groups of swingers often that, oh, it's all about the women. It's, it's all about the women. And um, this is really interesting because I, I still believe that if we say we're prioritizing women, it can be very dangerous because we're positioning women as the gatekeepers. We're positioning them as the one who gets to say, yes, no, maybe. She becomes the stop, the stoplight and the onus of drawing boundaries and expressing needs falls entirely on her shoulders, which is not a matter of respect and honor. That's a, you know, a matter of either A, shirking your own responsibility for the partner or believing that men are up for anything. They're just sexual animals and women are there to draw the lines and keep them in control. So I think this is a very dangerous approach. I think it's certainly rooted in, in patriarchal notions of sexuality that are harmful to both women and men. These stereotypes suggest that men are just these animalistic beasts and they're rearing to go at any point in time. And this is the farthest thing from the truth. Men are complex and emotional beings too. I was reading this research around the neurology of emotional response that suggests that men are in fact more emotional than women neurologically. So when you expose men to emotional stimuli and then examine the activations and reactions in the emotional response centers of the brain, they find more activity in men's brains than women's. So their brains are responding more significantly. But when you ask and do your post-test interview about their emotional response, men are less likely to express this emotional reaction. So there's a sociocultural norm here at play around who is allowed to express how they feel. And it's so dangerous to deny that men are emotional and just as emotionally vulnerable as women. So not only does this approach of, oh, the women call the shots, the lifestyle's all about the women, reinforce women as gatekeepers, but it serves as a detriment to men as well because they need a say. And I can tell you that even if men won't speak up in a group, even if they won't post it on a forum, even if they don't bring it up at the bar over drinks, men have adverse reactions to lifestyle interactions as well. Men get sad. They get scared. They cry. They get nervous. They have ejaculatory issues, erection issues, because this is an emotionally laden experience. So let's drop the gender stereotypes. I think the lifestyle can be empowering and I really actually believe it can be revolutionary. And with these relationship outcomes that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast with higher levels of trust and lower levels of jealousy, I think there's something we can learn from CNM relationships, but not if we only see it through uh, the male sexual lens, the idea that that uh, women are along for the ride as long as they're comfortable and we disregard men's comfort in the process. We need to consider all sides of the equation, of course. Now, the last question I'm going to cover, I receive all the time, and I haven't really thought through how to answer it, but I get this question all the time. I've been receiving it for years. I've literally received hundreds 
of the same question, and that is, Jess, are you a swinger or are you in the swinging lifestyle? And I think the most accurate answer would be no. Um, Brandon's not here. Brandon's back in Toronto. So uh, I'll speak with you know as much permission as I believe I have from him. So no, we're not in the lifestyle. We're not swingers. Uh, we have certainly dabbled. We have tried. We have done lots of fun things that in many cases were more funny than fun. <laughs> um, we certainly have engaged in behaviors that I would consider lifestyle adjacent. It, we are always open to the fact that our relationship will evolve over time. But if if you haven't seen my TED Talk, Monogamish, which is kind of Monogamish 1.0, we are definitely in that space where we're open about talking about things and thinking about things and flirtation. Um, I'm actually really uncomfortable with this question. And uh, it's interesting because people tell me all about their personal lives but for me as a public figure and for me as somebody who works with clients, I'm not, you know, I'm not just an entertainer, although I think I'm very entertaining. <laughs> um, I'm uncomfortable with revealing everything about my own life because I have a lot on display. I put a lot on blast. I share a lot of myself with my, you know, social network. And I want some things that are just for me and Brandon. And I don't always want to tell you what's going on in my life. Sometimes I will, and sometimes I think it's useful and maybe you can learn from it. But sometimes I just want a piece that's just for me and just for Brandon. And so when people ask for additional details or try and figure it, figure it out, I understand that it's a natural inclination to wonder what other people are doing. And I understand too that, you know, people get to know me and I get to know them from watching Insta stories and, and, you know, interacting online. And I really value that in my life. It means a lot to me and I love social interaction, but there are parts that I just want for myself. So I'm not, I'm not comfortable getting into the details of exactly what we've done. I mean, I can tell you that the idea of, for instance, swapping partners is not something that appeals to me personally. Um, overall, my attraction to men is very low Maybe I'm saying more than I want to at this point. So I'm not really interested in that. But I do love the environment that lifestylers play in. I do love the energy. I do love the eroticism. And maybe um, in the near future, I'll have Brandon come on the podcast and talk a little bit about how he feels about all of this. Of course, we've been together coming up on 17 years. So it has evolved over time. But no, we are definitely not swingers. I also think it has a little bit to do with age because I don't think most people our age would even consider that word. And many people our age kind of custom design our relationships and can't fit it into a nice, neat box. But I love lifestyle parties. I love lifestyle events. We have a good time. We certainly find that it enhances our sex life and relationship. And then there's two other conflicts I have with this question. One is that because I'm supposedly this expert, people have this assumption that my relationship is a gold star relationship and they hold me to, um, I, I think they hold my relationship as some sort of a gold standard for what others should achieve. And I think that's absurd. We have a really nice relationship because we work really hard of, at it. Uh, but as I've said in the past, even with all the knowledge in the world, I still can't always put it into practice. So I don't want to share everything about my relationship and then suggest or have people in erroneously infer that that means that what I do is what they should do because that is not the case. What I do works for me right now at this given moment in time. 
And 10 years from now, we'll probably be in a different place. But it doesn't mean that it will work for you. So what works for Brandon and me will not necessarily work for you. So that's one concern uh, around sharing the specifics of what our relationship looks like. So the first I mentioned was that I just want some privacy. And the second is that we're not perfect. And uh, as an expert, I think sometimes we're expected to be perfect. And then the third piece is that working in this field shifts the way you see your relationship and the way you interact sexually. And working in this field actually is a huge distraction from our own relationship and sex life because I have an inclination to take incidents from our own relationship and think about it from a professional lens rather than from a personal subjective lens. So uh, I, I think being in this field has enhanced our relationship in many ways, but there certainly have been impediments that are unique to being a sexologist and a, a relationship expert. So I'm going to leave it at that. I hope I'm, in retrospect, I hope I've said what I'm comfortable with and what Brandon is comfortable with as well, because this is going live in just a couple of hours. It's the morning here in Hong Kong. So y'all are probably going to bed on the East Coast in North America. Uh, but hopefully you listen to this tomorrow or over the course of the weekend. And hopefully there's something you take out of it, whether you are in the lifestyle not in the lifestyle, or somewhere in between, which is perhaps how, how I would describe uh, my personal relationship and my marriage. So I'm going to stop there. I'm a little worked up from talking about my personal stuff. It's not easy to do, and it's certainly easier when Brandon is, is by my side. He, uh, I think, brings out the best in me and the most authentic side of, of myself. So I will stop there with Great thanks to Desire Resorts for their support of this podcast. Please check them out at Desire Resorts. And follow me at Sex with Dr. Jess. Please share this podcast. Maybe if you're up for it, leave a review on iTunes and make sure you're subscribing. Send your questions in via at Sex with Dr. Jess on all social media. Thank you very much, folks, and have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.